2: I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends, I'm just trying to make you some money. My job, not just to entertain you, but to educate, teach. So call me 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Maybe time to cool off a little? Why not? I mean, this market's been up a straight line for a week, despite the general lack of news flow, including today, where the Dow gained 92 points, but S&P advanced just 0.17%, and the Nasdaq actually declined 0.03%. In one sense, we're going up on a more optimistic take on the same set of facts that sent us lower not too long ago. This time, we're getting a hopeful view on world trade and the possibility of reaching a combination with China. To some degree, I think that's wishful thinking, but hey, Wishful thinking worked when it came to the unlikely progress between North and South Korea. So maybe this optimistic spin on trade makes more sense than the pessimistic one. Of course, we don't know which prism the market will use next week. Maybe we'll go back to the glass half empty mode. But we do know this. We know what to watch for, which brings me to our game plan. Monday morning, we hear from an Israeli company that has fascinated so many of you, Mazer Robotics, which makes a machine that helps doctors perform difficult spinal surgery. I like to think of Mazer as the son of Kramer Fave Intuitive Surgical, ISRG, which has had a multi-year move. That said, I recently opined on the show that Mazer had run enough, and we should wait for it to come down. I say let's see what they have to say. Now, it's May. And if you garden like I do, that means it's time to go to Home Depot for your gardening supplies, especially your flats or trays of plants. Home Depot reports Tuesday and its conference calls have been pure joy for ages. Just fantastic expositions of what's doing well and how management views the state of the consumer. I bet Home Depot will have a remarkable quarter, just stellar, thanks to tax reform, new construction, and the refurbishment of older stores. The staff's fantastic, but what really has me jazzed though is their technological edge on the competition, including Lowe's, which has allowed them to consistently take market share. If you have the chance to listen to the Home Depot call, Please, please, by all means, pay close attention to the CFO, the legendary Carol Tumay, who'll give you an update on the health of the American consumer. I take her words as gospel far better than any government work. Yesterday, we caught a brutal downgrade of Macy's, letter M, from hold to sell. It caught me by surprise as the company's been doing so much right under CEO Jeff Gannett. The piece had a two-pronged thesis, that the big gains from real estate sales are now behind Macy's, and the same store sales may be weakening. I think both of these views are actually wrong. Gannett still has plenty of optionality with real estate, and he's just beginning his overhaul of the chain with an emphasis of local neighborhoods in much more curated fashion. Have you checked it out lately? It's terrific. Now, I know the weather wasn't perfect for retail this quarter, but I think Macy's will tell a good long-term story when it reports Wednesday morning. Now, my wife was there last week to the fifth floor uh, uh, of the shoe store in Bloomingdale's. That won't count for this quarter, so you're not going to see that bump that she gave them. After the close, we hear from two of my absolute favorite companies with two of the best CEOs in the business, Take-Two Interactive, TTWO by Stra- I was run by Strauss Zelnick, and Cisco run by Chuck Robbins. Both have a track record of reporting excellent numbers. I bet that will continue. When it comes to Take-Two, lots of people have been concerned about the popularity of these online free-for-all shooters like Fortnite and Player Unknown's Battlegrounds. The consensus was that these would steal business from the more established players. But then Electronic Arts, EA, reported this week, and it was an incredible quarter. I think Take-Two will have a similarly fabulous story to tell, especially with the red, new Red Dead Redemption game coming out later this year. I can't wait to hear that call. Remember, Red Dead goes jives very well with NVIDIA's graphic cards. More on that later. Cisco caught fire under the leadership of, of Chuck Robbins with fantastic quarter after fantastic quarter as the company moves more aggressively into software and the Internet of Things. I hope he talks about the recent $270 million acquisition of a company. This is a business intelligence play run by the brilliant Amy Chang. I cannot think of a better person to help Cisco reinvent itself as a trusted partner to its clients on a much deeper level than just hardware. Watch for that acquisition. Thursday, we get results from Walmart. Now, earlier this week, Walmart shelled out $16 billion to buy Flipkart, the Indian Amazon, in one of the gutsiest moves this company has ever made. Wall Street hated it and sent the stock down badly. I think that's ridiculous. With China dominated by Alibaba and the U.S., the province of Amazon, Walmart needed to try to take a piece of the second most populous country on Earth. The last time Walmart reported its e-commerce business showed a rather dramatic deceleration, and the stock was hammered. At this point, the stock is so low that I have to believe a weak number will get ignored, and a number just even just a little bit positive gets this stock moving higher again. Can JCPenney's stock get out of its own way? let's put it this way, if not now, when? Penny failed to rally in what's become a terrific period for big retailers. The problem, this company has no real differentiating factor between being one of the homes, uh, being one of, the homes of Sephora, the wildly popular cosmetic chain. That's all really, to me, has, has gone for it right now. Any good news could move the stock, but Penny hasn't been able to generate any good news for a couple of years now. People love to speculate on this one. That's because it's less than a $3 stock. Ladies and gentlemen, listen up. Two bucks and change doesn't make it cheap. After the close, Nordstrom reports, and I've been telling uh, members of the ActionAlertsPlus.com club, that this is a lower risk call to buy on the resurgence of the shopping mall. Nordstrom has a new store in Manhattan. How's it doing? we got to find out. I expect they'll talk about how strong the spring will be. Remember, the Nordstrom family tried to take this company private at $50 a share, just a couple bucks higher than it is right now. I figure they must feel pretty confident about the chain's long-term prospects, or they would never have considered that buyout. I've been a major backer of Applied Materials, AMAT, because of its breadth of its semi- Conductor Capital Equipment Manufacturing. Yet each time it reports of late, it's had some bad luck. It seems like despite a terrific quarter, there's always some sort of issue with its clients. It takes the steam out of what would otherwise be blowout numbers. The semis are finally acting well, though, so I bet applied materials can rally on a better-than-expected quarter. Finally on Friday, we hear from two iconic companies. Deer and Campbell's Soup. I think they have divergent paths, with deer going higher and Campbell's disappointing. Deer's been a long-term winner as farmers around the world are pretty flushed right now with cash and can afford to spend on new machinery. Campbell's Soup, however, belongs to the most beaten-down sector in the entire market, the food group. The staples. The company's worked mightily to become more natural and organic, but its older products are still what defines the business, It defines them negatively. I know plenty of people who just hope Campbell's will put itself up for sale, maybe uh, Kraft Heinz buys them. I doubt that'll happen though. Here's the bottom line. We have lots of retailers reporting next week. And while we've seen a bunch of downgrades of the group lately, I think that the stronger consumer, courtesy of tax reform, could result in some fabulous upside surprises. So throw in the tech stocks that come next week, which I think are red to a roar, and we might have what we need for yet another bullish backdrop, as long as there's no sudden disruptions, all of our world trade talks that are going on right now. Sean in California, Sean! Happy Friday, Booyah, Jim. How are you? Oh, man, I need a Friday. Glad you're on. What's going on? Uh, the in question is Control 4 Corp. ticker CTRL I recently took a position just prior to this last earnings call, which was a good one. Um, I'm up about 14% since then. Uh, my question is, why did it retrace the way it did from its previous high? What am I missing? Okay, it Trace, because everybody feels that all the companies that are involved with, say, home automation are going to be destroyed by Amazon or Alphabet. I think that's wrong. I think you're right to be able to be in that stock. It's come down way too much. I think you have a good one. Michelle in Missouri. Michelle! Jim, I have a situation. Okay.
1: I'm buying a new home and one extra money. I speculated on U.S. concrete. I believe our great president, Donald J. Trump, wants to improve our infrastructure, not to mention concrete rocks. Instead of being up 20 percent, it's down 20. What do I do?
2: Boy, so, I'll tell you, Michelle, and- I, am, I, I am as exasperated as you are. I mean, I just felt that infrastructure was going to be this year's business and that this stock would go up. I've been wrong, but I am going to tell you, I think you got to stick with it. I think it's just a matter of time. How about Shane in Texas? Shane? Dr. Kramer, thank you for taking my call and happy Mama's Day weekend to all the mamas. Yeah, well. Um. My, my question is in regards to what in the wide world of sports is going on with all the Chinese volatility. And even after crushing the earnings, to be more specific, can you enlighten me on Weibo, WB? Thank you, sir. Look, I mean, this is a uh, a, sell, a social media play, and I'm, I'm not a fave of it. What I like, just so we know, is I like Baidu, okay? And I've got to tell you, I think Alibaba is going much higher, and I don't need to go away from any of those. I don't need to go down the food chain to any other Chinese stock. All right, the consumer is stronger. And I think that'll allow the retailers reporting this week to deliver positive, not negative surprises, like everybody seems to be saying. All right, on well, Mad Money tonight, in the age of Amazon, Warehouse Powerhouse Prologis just announced a brilliant $8 billion deal to buy a company that fits right into its stable. What does it mean for the space? I'm talking with the CEO. And what would you rather buy or own right now? Cores or cores? Crack open a cold one and throw in a purse. Kind of. I'm giving you my take. And nice has a friendly name. But could the company offer some nice profits too? I'm going to sit down with the CEO of this incredibly cool company. So stick with Kramer.
1: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag mad tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com.
2: If you wanna own a real estate investment trust here in this environment of rising interest rates, I've told you over and over again that I prefer to stick with the REITs that are writing major secular growth stories. Think the data center REITs and the logistics REITs that benefit from the cloud and the expansion of e-commerce, respectively. Well, a couple of weeks ago, the logistics space got a lot more interesting. Prologis, a major owner of logistics properties and fulfillment centers, announced that it's acquiring DCT Industrial Trust for $8.4 billion, all stock transaction. Now, these are both companies we've had on the show and said we like very much as terrific ways to play the burgeoning e-commerce trend. And I think the deal makes Prologis all the more attractive. But don't take it from me. Let's check in with Hamid Mogadam. He's the chairman and CEO of ProLogers, a true visionary in this business. Learn more about the DCT merger, what it means for the future of his company. Mr. Mogadam, welcome back to Mad Money. Happy Friday to you, Jim. Oh, thank you, Hamid. I love this deal, and you know that. And one of the things I love about it is you are a seasoned player when it comes to buying and then integrating very quickly the best properties. So why don't you outline to us what you're going to do with DCT?
3: Well, you know, DCT is a company that we've always had a really high regard for, probably the closest strategy uh, to Prologis in the U.S. and uh, the highest quality portfolio of significant size that there was out there. So uh, really what we want to do is uh, use that platform to serve our customers better But along the way, we're gonna generate some savings through synergies, uh, certainly on the cost side, but more importantly on the revenue side as we serve our customers and lever up, uh, in effect, uh, the, the size and the scale of the ProLogis platform.
2: Now, it seems like they've got fabulous properties in the West, Southern California, a lot of demand there. Chicago, I mean, these are areas, that when we had DCT on, it was very clear that they have the best properties. So will they be integrated easily with uh, ProLogis properties in those areas?
3: Yes, the, the overlap is almost perfect. Uh, they are in every single market uh, that, uh, that we're already present. So, um, perfect overlap. In fact, I think once we go through the portfolio, we're probably going to retain uh, over 93% of, uh, of the assets.
2: Now, uh, I know that there was a very funny moment in the conference call where an analyst was saying what this will do, uh, dividend, what this will do, accretion. Uh, but if you could lay it out for just as best as you can right now, because I know the board asked to prove things, this would presumably allow Prologis to continue its great record of raising dividends and raising uh, earnings per share.
3: Uh, For sure. I mean, uh, we haven't uh, issued uh, um, formal guidance, but uh, we think uh, it's going to accelerate our growth over time uh, because it's driving down the cost of doing business uh, by creating scale. Uh, I think we can add value by uh, reducing the cost of capital and uh, being able to run the platform more efficiently by virtue of scale. But those are all the immediate benefits. I think the longer term benefits is levering that platform for information, for customer relationships, uh, and all those other good things that happen to you when you're part of a large global Uh, operating company.
2: Now, uh, when you have uh, customers like an Amazon or XPO Logistics, which we talk a lot about, some of these European companies, they basically are, uh, I know they can't demand anything at Prologis, but they do ask of you to do these kinds of things, don't they?
3: Well, increasingly, they are. I mean, uh, you know, historically, the landlords have had the luxury of just leasing four walls and a roof and not doing a whole lot more for their customers. But increasingly, in this interconnected world of supply chains and change, uh, you know, the landlords, uh, at least the good ones, uh, should be helping their customers in many other directions. And uh, we're really re-engineering the customer experience, uh, making it much easier for our customers to move in, uh, to utilize the space more efficiently. And really the data side of the business is increasingly important because if you look at it, these two uh, platforms together, will be almost 750 million square feet. Uh, And as you, I think, know, um, about 2% of the global GDP goes through our buildings. So we haven't even started to scratch the surface on the information side and the information opportunity of the
2: business. You had some uh, really interesting opportunities. DCT's got some vacant land. I mean, is that something that you would just immediately start with your architects and figure out, uh, let's get some more buildings up? Because you definitely need them if you're thinking about e-commerce out three, four years from now. Uh,
3: for sure. They, uh, DCT has historically not been a very large developer. So their land bank is actually modest, but it's very well located. And uh, they have a number of buildings under construction. And, of course, we'll complete those uh, when this transaction or if this transaction is approved. And, uh Uh, we're going to start on the remainder of the land uh, when the opportunities are right. Uh, So, uh, again, uh, we have a very robust uh, development business on our own, and it will be even more attractive with the two companies combined.
2: Now, uh, can you just give me, in the time we have left, where are we in e-commerce? I think that I keep saying that we're very, very early. A lot of other people saying, listen, it's got to be late. Uh, What's your impression? Because you probably see more than anyone in this business.
3: Well, it's interesting. I was at the, at the conference um, where there were, there were five different individuals, uh, two from reta- the retail business, a couple of customers and a venture capitalist. And that question was asked. And the VC answered 100 percent, which is, of course, uh, optimistic. <laughs> and uh, the retailers, the, the retail property owners said maybe a few points more. Uh, today, it's 10 percent. I would guess uh, it would be north of 30 and 40 percent. It may take some time. Uh, and that's in the U.S. I think overseas is going to get to that level even sooner because they don't have all the installed infrastructure of retail properties that we have here. Um, I'm, I mean, I look at the answer to that question by talking to uh, teenagers. And uh, as those uh, teenagers become into get into their prime buying uh, age, I think that percentage is going to start to move up. Uh, good shopping centers will continue to do really well, uh, but uh, I think uh, it's all good for the logistics business.
2: Well, boy, you've been a visionary. You've done so many things right, and I congratulate you on what a great deal, because we loved DCT when we had him on, and you spotted him, and you're buying him. Congratulations, sir. That's him, Hamid Mogadam. You, he's the chairman CEO of Prologis, the visionary in this whole field. Man, Money's back after the break.
1: Coming up, These two companies may be opposites in both style and substance. But does one of them belong in your portfolio? It's Coors versus Coors in a Mad Money Friday showdown. Next.
2: How can you tell the difference between a broken stock and a broken company? I've got the perfect example, a pair of stocks that that got slammed last week. Stocks that have almost nothing in common except their names. I'm talking about Coors versus Coors. That is Michael Coors versus Molson Coors. Actually, they're kind of like uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito and twins. But think about it. Michael Kors is a maker of luxury apparel and accessories, like th- these handbags. Yeah, you, hey, you see them all over the place. You buy them from Neiman Marcus. Molson Coors, on the other hand, is a brewery that makes the champagne of beers. Uh, Actresses wear Michael Kors on the red carpet when their movies premiere. Molson Kors was integral to the plot of Smokey and the Bandit. Doesn't have quite the same cultural cachet. Granted, both Michael Kors and Molson Kors are very well known. But they're basically on opposite sides of the luxury spectrum. And while both of these stocks got slammed last week, as I mentioned, they have very different trajectories of late. After peaking in 2014, Michael Kors spent years getting crushed as its growth slowed down and the stock went into free fall. But about 12 months ago, the company started turning around in a major way and the stock caught fire. Since then, it's nearly doubled from $32. To $63. In other words, Michael Kors is very much a comeback story, even if it sold off a tad last week. Molson Coors, on the other hand, oh boy, it feels more like a comeback to earth story. The stock peaked all the way back in 2016. Rather than bottoming, if anything, the pain has just accelerated. A week and a half ago, Molson Coors reported a hideous quarter, and the stock plunged from $71 down to $60. Single session. Ouch. After that kind of move, I don't blame anyone for wanting a drink, although you probably need something a little stronger than a Coors Light, which happens to be the beer that I actually drink, except for when I'm at Bar and Miguel. So why has Michael Coors been performing this much better and Molson Coors this much worse over the past year? First, let me give you a little background of both these companies, and then we'll drill down into why one is a winner. And the other, I think, will continue to be a loser. Michael Kors is a major fashion brand. They have hundreds of stores in the Americas, uh, hundreds more overseas, and a growing e-commerce platform, as well as selling tons of merchandise through department stores. Now, Michael Kors came public with a bang in late 2011. The company was growing like crazy. And for the first few years, the stock surged into the stratosphere. But thanks, I think, really to the law of large numbers, the growth slowed. And from mid-2014 to mid-2017, This stock was a total dog. How about Molson Coors? In addition to all the permutations of Molson Coors and Miller, you know these guys also own Blue Moon, Carling, one of my personal favorites, Keystone, not one of my personal favorites, and a host of other brands that are too numerous to to name, including a bunch of craft and specialty beers like Creamore Springs, Cobra, Doom Bar. Anybody? But the big transformation for Molson Coors came at the end of 2016. For years, Molson Coors had a joint venture with SAB Miller. It was called Miller Coors, which combined their businesses in the the U.S., thus giving them more heft to compete with the likes of Anheuser-Busch in InBev. However, when Bud acquired SAB Miller, they had to sell off their stake in Miller Coors, which allowed Molson to snap it up for just $12 billion. At the time, we figured this would be a transformative deal that would propel this stock ever higher. But in fact... We got this one dead wrong because that turned out to be the high watermark mark for Molson Coors. Missed it. Which brings us to recent history where Michael Coors has been leaving Molson Coors in the dust. I hate to see what Thanksgiving looks like at the Coors household. Molson, why can't you be more like your brother Michael? So how did Michael Kors pull off its tailspin? Some I mean, of this is just about a resurging consumer, but a lot of it's company-specific. Even though their sales declined by 5% in fiscal 2017, the general sense is that the business had already started to turn. And that's because last year, Michael Kors acquired Jimmy Choo, the iconic high-end footwear play for $1.35 billion. I happen to be a huge customer there for my wife because of the toe cleavage aspect that they often talk about. <laughs> The deal closed on November 1st, and it's been very well received. In fact, just a couple of weeks ago, Michael Kors caught an upgrade from Deutsche Bank. They took it from hold to buy, arguing that the company's in the middle innings of its turnaround, and the numbers are nearing an inflection point. They're marking down a lot lot less merchandise. That's right, full price. The brand seems to be getting more traction, and it's looking like this Jimmy Choo deal will start boosting the company's earnings much sooner than anyone expected, because a lot of people thought they overpaid. They didn't. The stock, of course, has been soaring until last week, when Tapestry, the parent company of Coach and Kate Spade, really their closest competitor, reported a real ugly quarter, and the pin action from that looked uh, from that took uh, down Coors too. But honestly, a lot of the problems at Tapestry were company-specific, and I think the pullback here was excessive. That's why Michael Coors is what I call a broken stock, not a broken company. I think it's a buy. We have a lot of retailers reporting next week, so we can probably wait, say, till Macy's to be making a judgment, though. How about Molson Coors? Oh, this is a Coors of a very different color. Here's the problem in a nutshell. The Miller Corps' acquisition from late 2016 was very complicated. and turned out to be very poorly timed. Essentially, Molson Coors doubled down on the mass beer market, just as consumers were increasingly turning to fancier craft beers and local breweries. All of this culminated in the company's latest results last week, with Molson Coors reporting a no-good, very bad, absolutely atrocious quarter, just a gigantic top and bottom line miss. And that's why the stock lost 15% of its value in one day. So what really separates Michael Kors from Molson Kors? They're on the opposite sides of two very different secular trends. While Michael has been benefiting from the renaissance in the apparel space, Molson is getting crushed by the rise of marijuana. That's right. Get this. They're actually being smoked by legalization. The apparel comeback is pretty self-explanatory. Look at the very strong numbers from PVH and Nike and even the higher-end department stores like Macy's. Again, we're going to hear about that this week. But what the heck is Michael is Molson course getting steamrolled by this, this slow wave of cannabis legalization? All right, this is a staggering statistic. It turns out beer and weed are not two great tastes that go great together. Remember, kids, just say no. Now, here's a stunning figure. According to one study, in states that legalize medicinal marijuana, alcohol sales have fallen by an average of 15%. 15%. Holy cow. Now, the booze business was already shifting away from the sort of mass market beer that Molson Coors specializes in. But the weeds thing, that was surprising. Turns out people only like to be one kind of intoxicated at a time. Who would have thunk it? So Michael Kors is rebounding while Molson Coors is getting crushed. Yet their stocks trade at surprisingly similar levels. Michael trades at 13 times next year's earnings estimates. Remember, this is how we compare apples to apples, PE multiples. Molson trades at roughly 12 times next year's earnings estimates. Both of these stocks are remarkably cheap. The thing is, Molson Coors may turn out to be more expensive than it seems if the earnings keep coming in weaker than expected. Whereas there seems there's some reason to believe at Michael Kors, the numbers are going in the other and right direction. Bottom line, when it comes to cores versus cores, go with the one that's on the rebound. It's a broken stock, not the one that's still in free fall. Consumers are coming back to apparel, but they're fleeing from the mass beer market in droves. That's why I like Michael Coors going to its earnings report later this month. And i got to tell you, I think you got to stay the heck away from Molson Coors if you're seeing those hideous numbers just last week. Let's go to Ram in Texas. Ram.
1: Hey, Jim, a huge booyah from Texas where everything is big. Excellent. My question, yes, yes. <laughs> my question is around Signet Drillers, S I G. This company has been doing a lot of things recently, but most importantly, it's been transitioning more to a pure-play strategy like Tiffany's. However, SIG's P-E ratio still is around 8 compared with Tiffany's around 35. Do you think this new direction of SIG will help kind of make it a good investment in the coming days?
2: Well, I think that, look, first of all, it's a great question because you have to say, well, wait a second, we love, we love Tiffany. Why shouldn't we love Signet? But the problem is that Signet old model, which was really kind of much more of a model based on lending, is so out. And the new models taking some time to get adjusted to. And it's frankly not nearly as profitable. So, I say stay away. When it comes to Coors, the retailer versus Coors, the beer company, their stocks couldn't be more different. I say stick with the retailer. Much more mad money at Kill them with kindness. I've got a one on one with the CEO of Nice Systems. Find out how the company's taking you on the not so nice issues of fraud, financial crime, cybersecurity. And my dog, NVIDIA, is a rescue mod. Maybe that's why I feel compelled to rescue NVIDIA, the stock, from its current narrative. I'll tell you what to make of the latest action. And all your calls rapid-fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. And of course, a look back at the week that was. So stick with Kramer.
1: Monday. Kickoff the trading day was squawk on the street.
2: Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. It was one of the more embarrassing. Hey, booyah, booyah, booyah. Hey, if he's really that good, how come he couldn't get credit at Kohl's? (laughs) Booyah. Is that what you say when it's not good? Booyah.
1: It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern.
2: Technology has come back into style on the Wall Street Fashion Show. Let's talk about one of my favorite big picture themes here the rise of data analytics and business intelligence software. I like this story a lot, and tonight I want to introduce you to a new way to play it. I'm talking about Nice Limited. NICE for all you home gamers, an Israeli analytics company with software that helps other businesses improve their customer engagement. They also use the platform to fight financial crime, preventing fraud, stopping money laundering, ensuring that banks comply with regulations. And a lot of this is fueled by the power of artificial intelligence and machine learning. Now, NICE reported a strong quarter yesterday. The numbers were, well, uh, NICE they delivered a 2 set earnings beat off of a dollar a one basis, higher than expected. Revenues up 10% year over year. On top of that, their cloud business, which we're going to focus on, is growing at a 32% clip. The stock climbed about one percent on the news, in part because it had already rallied pretty hard going into the quarter. So let's take a closer look with Barack Elam. He's the CEO of Nice. To learn more about how his company is doing and where it is headed, Mr. Elam, welcome to Mad Money. Good to see you, Brock. Have a seat. Thank, thank you thank for having me. You. All right, so first, because we we are familiar with the space, but we have not talked to it about NICE, why don't you go over where you fit in data analytics, because we've had a bunch of the companies on.
0: Sure. So we do data analytics, artificial intelligence, and we take it with the cloud into two spaces. One is customer experiences. We're helping organizations of any size to connect effectively with their consumers and provide an outstanding experience. And the other part is fighting financial
2: crime now let's talk about fighting financial crime we actually have seen a couple uh you know we had something that was terrible in Symantec today we're not really sure what happened there was also financial crime at ppg uh which involves some uh ways that money was shifting around what can you spot and how
0: so we connect to hundreds of different of sources in real time okay and applying complex analytics and artificial intelligence in order to decide in real time whether a certain transaction, whether an ATM transaction, a payment transaction, any type of transaction is legit or not, and then we can decide in real time whether to stop it or authorize okay, it. Okay,
2: so like, the other day, um, uh, we were, I was hacked. Uh, someone bought something in Thailand from me, and I was obviously not in Thailand, and it was caught instantly. Could that be something that you're that NICE could find out?
0: Given that we are deployed in most of the financial services, there is good chance that it was us.
2: Really? Yeah. Uh, and that's just a proprietary algorithm that other people don't have, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, uh, you made this acquisition the other day. This is, I thought, fascinating. NICE acquires MatterSite, And we understand this says we believe the addition of MatterSite's unique uh, technology will further enhance NICE's analytical capabilities. This is from a note from Jeffries. It uses speech analytics and psychological profiling to connect customers with the agents that are best suited for them? And that you've got a whole bunch of different ways to profile. How does it, I mean, who are you trying to suit?
0: So, if you think about what we're doing in the space of customer service, we're trying to connect or we are connecting consumers to enterprises the best possible way, regardless of the channel, whether you use your phone, whether you chat with them, or you email with them. In the past few years, the last four years, we've been acquiring companies and innovating ourselves in the space of analytics in order to create that unique experience. The recent one of Mattersite, following the one that we've done a couple of years back of Nexidia, allows us to use the customer persona to connect you with the best person that will provide you that
2: service. No, but the artificial intelligence figures out whether the person likes to talk or or is is from a different country? I mean, because I'm trying to figure out what are the characteristics that people could have.
0: Well, it's a proprietary algorithm, but it's basically analyzed the persona of these customers since the customer called before several times, and it allows us to connect it to the best service. We profile those customers in a way that give us the opportunity to provide the best experience. Can
2: you tell who might be interested in buying something?
0: A lot of customers. Everyone that would like to join what we call the experience revolution, whether it's your cable provider, your bank, your insurance company, this is their way to provide the best experience to the customer. And today, the, the way to the wallet of the customer is the
2: way through their heart, through the experience. You know, it's interesting you say this because I was looking at your, well, the percent of the big companies that use you. And I had said, well, hold on, we've had people on that have already been hired by those companies. But you're very complimentary. No one else is doing what you're doing.
0: That's correct. And recently, we have, uh, we've, uh, you mentioned the cloud before. Right. Uh, that's a previous acquisition we've done of InContact. We are putting all of those, or we have put all of those together into our CX1 platform, which is the one that allowing us, allow those customers, all the big enterprises and small enterprises, to connect the dots together and provide a very uh, uh, cohesive customer experience to their customers.
2: Now, we know that as companies uh, get more and more into the cloud, their valuation moves up. You're in the, still in the 30s. 30%. I mean, what's the adoption? How quickly can you move to 100% cloud? I know you have on-premise stuff. There's not much we can do, but.
0: So we do have an on-premise, but the beauty of our cloud story that is, that we are not cannibalizing our own base. Right. We actually okay. use cloud in order to grow our total addressable market fivefold. We actually stepped into an adjacent market, which yet has been disrupted by cloud. And by developing CX1, we actually now have the ability to go into the cloud in a rapid pace, you saw our Q1 result. Right? No, it's growth. like this.
2: Yeah. Well, I got to tell you, your company is very exciting. And you know? I so when I heard you guys were coming, I said, these guys are doing something very different. It's really very exciting. That's Baraki Long. He's the CEO of Nice. This is a very good company. Man Money's back after the break. It is time so for the lightning round. And then the lightning rounds are, are you ready? Skate Down It's time for the lightning round. Let's start with Jimmy in Florida. Jimmy. Hey, Jim. A big booyah from sunny South Florida. Good to have you my on the show. How can I help? Uh, my question is Tetmez Express.
3: What's your outlook on that stock?
2: No, 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 no. You know that when we go down the Pet Food, we go to Idex Labs, which has been our favorite now for 100 points. I'm going to Michael in Florida. Michael! Booyah from Florida, Mr. Jim. Two Florida right in a row. I love that. Sunshine, help me. Uh, yesterday
3: on Fast Money, the, the pitch of the day was Xerox. And the panel agreed,
2: but the, the viewers didn't. Well, the what you pitch think? of the day is to sell Xerox because I listen to my partner, David Faber, every single morning. And that thing is just, well, let's just say, I'm going to Joseph in Texas. Joseph. Hey, good
1: evening, uh, Jim Cramer. Hey, listen, man, I love your show, but I'm just going to keep it short and sweet. Uh, I'm
3: just looking into a transportation stock, D S K E W. I am um, familiar
2: with I'm, the work, and that's why I'm going to send you to XPO Logistics, Brad Jacobs Company. Al in Florida, Al. Hey, Jim, thanks for taking the call. Uh, I'm a big Fang fan like you. Um, what can you I know what? You I thought Fang was good. People didn't like the conference call. I thought the conference call was okay. I think I would use this decline to buy, buy, buy some Fang. Remember, oil is up on a spike, but I think it's okay. Joel in Pennsylvania. Joel. Hi, Jim. Uh, booyah to you Yes. Hey, uh, got a stock here that's a little bit beaten up lately,
1: Uh, ITW, Illinois. Yeah, you know, and I've
2: been telling club members, you don't have to worry. This thing is good. They had one division that was weak. Uh, As we explained it to Action Alerts, it was just the auto, and I think that they're better than that. You shouldn't be a seller. We bought some lower uh, that we had sold higher, and I want to stick with that view. Ashish in North Carolina. Ashish.
1: Hi, Mr. Kramer, a big booyah from Charlotte. A big fan of your wisdom, sir. I
3: right. have a good question on uh, Portola Pharmaceuticals, PTLA. It recently had its blockbuster drug, uh approved the only antidote for bleeding complication of Pradaxa and Zeralta, which is widely used in cardiac and blood clots. I just wanted right. to get your take on it.
2: Well, I mean, I think the news is already in the story. That's why it didn't go. I mean, it's kind of done and I would rather hold out for something else better. Let's go to Stephen in Florida. Stephen! Yeah, Jim. Symbol STM for the Internet of Things. Uh, no, STMs. STM, STMicro... No, if we're going to be in the Internet of Things, uh, honestly, we're going to go to Cisco ahead of the quarter of they day report next week. I think it's going to be very good. Let's go to Zach in Texas. Zach! Hello, Mr. Kramer. Yes, sir.
1: I want to thank you for doing such a great job. Well, and
2: thank you. And all these
1: sir Thank you. My question is... It's about Priceline
2: or Booking.com. See? Yeah, you know what? Here's my problem. That group has become very crowded all of a sudden. Which, uh, you know, we, we just had another good company report this week. There's too much. I know I mean, I've liked that company historically, but now there's way too much pricing pressure. Don't want it. And that, ladies Jump, is conclusion of the Lightning Round.
1: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
2: me at 1 ever since for Fabric- it- so. what is it now a buy plus um, the- I can't make it. I don't think I made it Booyah. <laughs> Well and is there room for optimism when it comes to the stock of general Electric? Everyone with a half a brain thought that the oil rally was done. But half a brain is too much for this market. You want to use a quarter of your brain at most. The less brain, the better. Pandora Media. I personally listen to Pandora all the time, at work, on the phone, um, and on my way home, and at home with Alexa. Um, I own some shares of it, and you know, last week they came out with- Our main leaders were uh, usually uh, fine which is why we coined the term "hero." Mad Money. Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, and Google. Have you ever noticed it? that uh, everybody uses it? But you never hear about copyrighted by uh, Mad Money, do you? I may do something about that. <laughs> anyway. You don't name your dog NVIDIA for nothing. You name him NVIDIA because he's the best dog in the world. Or one of two of them because his best pal, Bug, is also a congenial sort who answers to his master's voice. NVIDIA is a rescue dog, and I feel compelled today to rescue NVIDIA, the company, from the narrative that I most feared. The one that says its stock is falling, it did get clocked badly today because of a decline in cryptocurrency mining that it flagged in last night's conference call. Let me first point out that NVIDIA is a remarkable company run by the renegade visionary Jensen Wong who has pioneered graphic chips, GPUs, with so much power that they're supplanting traditional central processing units, or CPUs, in all sorts of applications. You need these chips for the data center, for autonomous cars, for gaming, and for artificial intelligence. Think Alexa, because they have such a ridiculous amount of processing power. In fact, NVIDIA's GPUs are bigger faster and run cooler than central processors, which is pretty much the holy grail of computing. It's not an easy process to design these chips. Do you know that some of them have 10-year lead times? We used to think of NVIDIA as a gaming company because, in the old days, video games were the only thing that really required high-powered graphics. Uh, and, and to be fair, these chips are still behind the incredibly lifelike quality of so many of the modern games. But in the last few years, NVIDIA has become much more than that. It's become more, 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 kind of like a. Well, let's just say it's rolled out a slew of chips with massive firepower to help handle the flood of digital information that's being created by the cloud every nanosecond. Now, NVIDIA makes chips for every single cloud company, for Amazon Web Services, Google Cloud, Microsoft's Azure, not to mention IBM and Oracle Clouds. They have a big lead in semiconductors for driverless cars. In fact, you know that they've always been in cars. I originally got behind this stock years and years ago, ever since Scott Keogh, president of Audi North America, told me that NVIDIA makes the best auto chips in the world. what a great call that was. Thank you, Mr. Keogh. They also make the chips behind Amazon's Alexa and all the other voice assistants because NVIDIA's products are are unrivaled in terms of the amount of uh, processing power. And that makes them perfect for handling massive doses of artificial intelligence, which brings me to the heart of the problem with today's action. You see, NVIDIA's graphics cards are so ingenious, so powerful that they can be used to mine cryptocurrencies. When Bitcoin was soaring to 20,000 and the other artificial currencies were all flying, miners snapped up Nvidia's cars, paying fortunes for them, and inflating the company's bottom line in an unsustainable way. Nvidia flagged this issue the previous quarter, telling you that the graphics cards business was going to slow soon for miners. Sure enough, when they reported last night, the cryptocurrency mining numbers were still strong, but the company said the next quarter would produce a steep drop-off in business. That, I say, non-news dominated the headlines and caused investors to panic, just as I feared, even as every other line of business was downright fabulous. Gaming, data center, artificial intelligence, autonomous driving, you name it. Look, I warned you this would happen, but apparently that wasn't enough to prevent the stock from selling off on something that should, should have been, well, expected by everybody. Why? In part because NVIDIA stock had run so much that a lot of people felt it was way too expensive, and when they heard this news, they had to get out. Here's the thing. NVIDIA stock has always looked expensive on a near-term earnings. But that's not the right metric when you're looking at a company with turbocharged growth. What really matters is how the stock trades on what we call the out years. For example, in 2016, NVIDIA stock looked like it was selling at about 40 times earnings. But when 2017 was wrapped up, the numbers were so much better than expected that in retrospect, the stock had really only been trading at 12 times earnings. 12, not 40. And that's what happens when you keep blowing away the I think that if you totally strip out the cryptocurrency mining business, which is basically what will happen next quarter, NVIDIA's stock will still turn out to be incredibly cheap based on, say, its 2019 or 2020 earnings, which is why I say that NVIDIA is no dog in real life, just in my household, and it should be bought, not sold. This is not a cryptocurrency story, and the rest of the business, the actual core business, it's booming. What more do you want? Stick with crypto. for everything, but let's remember we've been straight up. Take a little off the table. Like I say, there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Man Money. I'm Jim Kramer and I'll see you Monday! This podcast is supported by FedEx.
1: Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you.